Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? Kingswood U.S. CEO and industry veteran Derek Bruton invites his guests to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. The guest list represents a who's who of the financial services industry. Derek's goal is to provide you with insight into how he and other leaders think about today's challenges and plan for future success. And now, let's see whether or not today's guest can hold Derek's attention. Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Derek Bruton. Today, I'm going to challenge my guest to not only hold my attention, but also convince me that I and many other advisors and professionals in the wealth management industry are not wasting our time on social media and digital marketing strategies. But if anyone can convince me of this, it's one of the most foremost experts in digital marketing and the new chief evangelist at FMG Suite, Samantha Russell. Samantha made investment news's top 40 under 40 list, and she was also named Wealth Management's top 10 to watch in financial services. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. That was a lovely introduction. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, these are exciting times for you, I'm sure. Uh, you just sold your company. You're starting off a new job with a really cool title. Uh, what are you most happiest about right now? Yeah. And I should just, I always correct everyone. Technically it wasn't my company. So my husband and uh, he had, a, he was a co-founder with a couple other uh, folks. I was employee number one, but since we're married, we sort of get, you know, grouped together there. Um, but right now, I think what I'm most excited about is just so much of what I have been preaching for the last so we started 20 over 10 in about five years ago, this February for the last five years, people have more than ever really understood and it, the points have been hitting home for them, you know, since this pandemic started. So the need to go digital, the idea of a digital referral shift, um, the idea that thousands more people meet you online than ever meet you in person. And yet we still pay more attention to what we wear, what our office looks like, where our physical location is, than we do our digital presence. Right. And people are finally paying attention to that message. Uh, so it's, it's really exciting. Well, Samantha, I look at social media and, and digital marketing, and I, I might ask you to define some of these things a little bit later, but I look at it the same way I look at that little turmeric vitamin I take every day. Uh, I know it's probably good for me. My doctor says it's good for me. I'm always reading about all its benefits, but can I sit here today and, and actually say I, tru I truly can measure the benefits of it? Is my left shoulder feeling any better because of the turmeric? Or is it from the constant stretching and physical therapy? It's supposed to help stave off depression and I'm not depressed, so maybe it's working. I don't know. But my point is, I don't know whether that little dose of turmeric every day is producing any legitimate results, but I keep taking it because I know I'm supposed to. And it's the same way I, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners today, feel about digital marketing and social media participation. We do it because... People like yourself and others in the industry say it's good to be on Twitter. It's good to be on LinkedIn and that we should be writing blogs and doing podcasts and producing killer websites. Uh, but I think very few of us can measure the effectiveness of, of this strategy. And it's a strategy that can eat up a lot of time and, and money. So, so I'm looking for you to convince us today that works, uh, that it's worth our time and money. And I'm also going to ask you to give us a way to measure the return on this investment. So you up for this challenge? I am. 
Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. So let's start at 30,000 feet in the wealth management space. And my experience is that advisors kind of fall into three basic classes. As I look at the advisors with Kingswood and across the industry I've worked with, one class one is that they understand it, they're using it, and they might have mixed results. Uh, class two is they're very aware of it and realize they should be leveraging digital marketing and social media, but haven't a clue how to get started. And then there's class three, and, and I'm talking to an advisor in LA right now that falls into this class. He doesn't know anything about it, and he doesn't plan on learning it anytime soon. He'll probably retire before he learns how to use it, uh, but is smart enough to know there's other people out there he wants to bring into the fold that will help him. So would you agree that most advisors kind of fall into these three classes? And you know, just for our listeners, roughly what percentages, if you agree, uh, fall into each class? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, by nature, because 20 over 10 is more of a modern, progressive looking um, platform, a lot of the people that I interact with personally um, tend to be uh, maybe leaning more towards the first or the second group. And also our market that we've served historically at 20 over 10 was independent RIA. But even in the time since I've joined FMG Suite, because they are really have a strong foothold in the IBD space, I'm seeing a lot more people in that third group. Um, and a lot of times it's because it's not only because they, for the, the reasons you mentioned, but maybe just from compliance standpoint, they couldn't use oh, right, right. in a way um, that was effective. And if you feel like you have handcuffs on, you know, you can't even leave comments on other people's posts it's really hard to be effective. So is it worth your time at all? Um, so I think, you know, putting, putting numbers on it is a little difficult, but I think overall, one point that I want to make sure people understand is there are very few, maybe less than three, four, 5% of advisors that are using social media and using it in a way that I would say is up to par with the way other industries use it. You know, we always, we say wealth management, is often years behind the curve when it comes to marketing. And a lot of times, again, it comes back to compliance, but there's very few people. I would say some of the people who think they're being incredibly effective and strategic using it still are really missing the mark. And, and why I say that is because these types of folks, what they're trying to do is fill their social media feeds with posts about their expertise. So they're talking about financial planning topics. They're talking about retirement strategies. They're talking about you know, capital gains or um, minimum distributions. But the problem is that what social media is meant to do is to replicate online the interactions we have offline. So if someone came into your office to meet with you, you wouldn't just jump right into a conversation, you know, the meat of what it is you're an expert at. You'd ask them, so where do you live? Where did you go to high school? Oh, I, they see a book on your shelf. So they talk to you about it people forget to include in their social profiles all those little, you know, tangible elements that make up for social interaction. So if you're just posting blogs back to your website or pre-approved content that you're allowed to post, but you're not saying, me and my son did this this weekend and here's a picture of us doing it, or here's a great book I read, or commenting on other people's posts, you're missing the mark. And 95% or more of advisors that I am aware of don't take that other element into um, consideration. You know, that, that's, that is really interesting. And, and now that you say it, um, you know, an, an advisor, uh, I'm not sure if you know Ross Gerber, but he's probably tweeted about five times since we started this podcast this morning. Uh, he's an avid tweeter. But, you know, he, now that I think of it after what you said, he 
actually does a really good job of mixing in what he thinks about what's going on in the markets, what's, what's going on in the economy, and throwing in things about his kids, about what he did on the weekend, about a fine wine he had, what, what have you. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways you can do this. And obviously, not everyone's going to be comfortable talking about um, the same level of personal things. But, you know, I'm a working mother, um, a young woman. And so some of the things I might talk about are a lesson I taught my kids over the weekend or a fun thing we did um, as a family. And oftentimes, those posts get the most engagement more than anything else when it's something that you can tie tie it to that's personal. And you can still be actually like, let's say you had a great weekend with your kids, but in a conversation about allowance, you had a great conversation. And now it's, you can make that connection, right? About a financial planning topic for your own clients. So it's just, how do we, again, recreate the conversations we have offline, online, because really what our world is moving to, whether people want to accept it or not, is a place where the majority of our interactions do not happen in person. Even think about like, you know, if somebody's asking someone for a financial advisor, a recommendation these days, how many of them are going to wait till they see someone in person? More likely they're going to text a text chain or ask, um, you know, a community group, their neighborhood association on Facebook, and then they'll get a bunch of recommendations. And oftentimes those recommendations might be a link to your LinkedIn profile and the person's going to click it and then they're going to go check you out. So it's, it's so much more interwoven than people realize. So, so do you have to actually draw that connection? If you're, if I'm posting something about my children and my next post is about uh, what I think about GameStop and, and the stock that happened yesterday, do, do I have to lead my followers all the way to water in terms of that connection? Or, um, or can I just post those two and really hope that the draw is what my, I'm talking about with my kids, but the followers are going to stick around or they're going to come back and read what I have to say about GameStop. I think it depends on the platform. So on LinkedIn, I would say I very rarely get personal without making a connection in some way. But on Twitter, yeah, you could do that, you know, till the cows come home because it's, it's a different uh, medium and uh, the life of a tweet is so small and it's much more conversational in nature. Um, so it needs to, you know, you need to be thinking about which platform that you're on, but there is no hard and fast rules. I mean, some of the most successful people on social media, they share everything. They're an open book and people follow them to your point for, yes, maybe their commentary on investing or, um, the stock market, but for all the other things that just make up who they are as a person. Do you think that, um, the people that you see most successful in using, using digital marketing, is there, is there a certain personality trait or talent or something like that, that an advisor almost has to have to be a solid digital marketer or can it be learned? No, I don't think so. Just the same way. I mean, I, I, to me, again, I keep, I'm going to keep probably reiterating this till people are nauseous, but if you think about in life, like, is there a certain personality trait that makes a good financial advisor? I mean, we have financial advisors from all walks of life, extroverts, introverts, tech savvy, not tech savvy, focused on behavioral investing, focused just on the hard numbers, um, trendy versus not, right? And the same exact thing is true for being online. Um, what medium that you get active on could vary, right? So if you think of even like YouTube as a social network and it's the second largest search engine that there is, getting yourself on camera and going on video is gonna be more enticing to certain personality types than others. But, you know, look at, 
um, like Morgan Housel, right? He has these, these crazy long editorial blogs he writes, the Collaborative Fund, and he gets thousands and thousands of readers and he never goes on camera and does live interviews or um, anything like that. He's just sharing his thoughts there. So, you know, you can find a medium that works with your personality type. So a complete introvert uh, in person. So if I'm a, if I'm an advisor and I'm kind of a techie and uh, I don't really particularly enjoy being in, in front of clients, but I know it's part of, part of the business and I get it done and I bring in new business and I'm happy that introvert, uh, if you, if you mirror that onto social media, how, how does that person become successful through means of getting out to, you know, thousands and thousands of people when in person he or she's also an intro is more introverted and just as that's just not their personality. In some ways it might be easier because you don't have to have live conversations, right? So maybe you love creating graphs and charts and looking at numbers and making correlations between things. So you have an amazing, um, every Friday, a report that you run talking about different correlations, almost like a Freakonomics style thing. And then you go online and you comment and post. So if someone's talking about GameStop as they are, you know, everywhere online right now, you, you know, comment in the thread saying something like, interestingly, you say that, you know, I discovered this or these numbers are really interesting to look at and then link to your post. One of the things that people get wrong about social media is wanting everyone to come to them. So they think I'm just going to post something and then everyone's going to start following me. If you have never commented on a stranger's post on social media, then you are doing it wrong. Mm, interesting. Because why? Because once you comment there, what's going to happen beyond that? Because if let's say you have a social, you're, you know, John Brown and you join Twitter tomorrow and you don't have any followers and you post something, how, who's going to see it? No one. Right. So you need to, and the way that you build followers and get people to want to follow you, I mean, there's lots of strategies, but one of the best ways is to be somebody who shares commentary that other people want to see. So you know, if I go and I comment on, you know, Josh Brown, he's the reform broker on Twitter, right? He's, everybody knows him in this space. If I go and I leave a really interesting comment, a bunch of people might see it, they might like it. And then they start following me because when they check out my profile, they see all these other great, you know, thoughts and, and ideas that I've shared. So commenting on strangers is a really, really big way. And it works for your business too. So let's say you have a client on, and they comment on your Facebook post and they leave something about, oh, you know, it was, it was great talking with you about this in our last meeting. Then everybody in their network can, has the potential to see their comment on your post. So if one of their friends who, you know, we know our clients, often their own friends and social circles are our best potential new clients and prospects. Um, one of their friends sees, hey, you know, my friend Jane commented on John's post. Now I'm going to think, oh, who's John? I didn't know Jane worked with that financial advisor and I can see it. So those second degree comments are how you really grow. So Samantha, drill down on that a little bit for me. Okay, I, I get what you're saying that if I comment on somebody else's post, especially when I'm trying to gather followers, that my comment may attract somebody to follow me. Is there anything in particular about my comment? Does it have to be, uh, is it have to be argumentative or uh, is there anything in particular that if I'm trying to get followers out there that should be part of my comment that would actually attract somebody to follow me? It should be like, if you were having a conversation with somebody um, in 
person and they made a comment, instead of just saying, oh, great point, you know, you don't want to just comment great point because that doesn't do anything. It doesn't lend anything. It doesn't say anything about your expertise or your intellect or your humor. You want to have your comment be substantial enough that someone would say, oh, wow, I didn't think of it that way. Or yeah, right on. I agree with that. And then they click on your profile. So it needs to be adding to the conversation or it can be an argument against a point that the person made. Um, but it can't just be what I see a lot of people do is like, I love this or great point or yes, this is so true. That's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you this question. And as I was reviewing it before the show, I realized you probably answer it with a, well, Derek, that depends, but I'm going to ask you anyway, okay. what's the most effective medium for advisors, articles, podcasts, video webcasts that, you know, as you're, as you're searching for uh, followers, as you're, as you're trying to get your message out, how would you answer that? It, it does depend, but what we're, we are seeing right now is a shift away from the very long form uh, editorial content that to shorter, shorter content. So if we think of like the TikTok, right, it's 15 seconds. That's what people's attention is these days. If you look at ads before YouTube video anymore, they're like five seconds long. We have been conditioned to have really short attention spans. And the more we see of something, um, you know, the mere exposure effect from psychology tells us that the more we see something, the more likely we are to rate that we like that thing because it feels more familiar to us. So instead of working for a month on one super long piece of content, unless you're Michael Kitsies, um, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule that prove it. But for most people, it's better to have a lot more shorter bursts of content throughout the month. So if you can commit to recording a video a week for a minute, then you can also repurpose that video, have someone on your staff, you know, um, turn it into like a summary, a written summary. Um, but we are in that scroll and scan generation and mindset. And it, it doesn't matter how old you are. Everybody's being conditioned to do this. Just look at anybody at the grocery store on their phone. What are they all doing? They're taking their finger and scrolling up quickly through whatever platform they're on. So it's less about what medium you use, but keeping it short and concise, unless you really, really have something of incredible value to share and you're going to make, you know, like the definitive guide on topic X and it's going to be basically a mega, mega article. There's very few people who can do that and do that well though. So short and impactful um, wins the game. It sounds like, um, and, and, and does that buy you the right? If people are reading your short and impactful posts and begin, you begin to generate this following does that, is that the ticket for them to then tune into the longer pieces that you do, the white papers, things that go beyond five minutes uh, that you want somebody's attention? Does that kind of uh, buy you the credibility, if you will? Absolutely. So, you know, I did a video a couple of weeks ago on the SEC's new ad rule and what it, the five biggest opportunities that are going to come out of advisors for that. And then we had a link, hey, sign up if you want. We're going to do a full-blown webinar with an RAA compliance attorney answering all your questions and diving deep into all five of these and what you need to know compliance-wise. If somebody's not interested enough in that first five-minute clip of me talking about it, they're surely not going to be interested in an hour-long webinar. So right. it, it 100% works that way. And using those shorter pieces really help you find the qualified prospects or potential new clients that are interested in that subject. You know, like if, if um, you really want people to self-qualify, again, we want to move from a sales culture 
to somebody coming to you and wanting to work with you, begging to work with you because of your expertise. And to do that, you need to prove to them that you are someone who is going to teach them something, is going to you know, be the person they can rely on. And so that is the perfect way to do it. Um, I, uh, I, I read something from you, maybe it was on one of your webcasts, I'm not sure, but that the best content to share is original content. And I think I started off in LinkedIn and, and Twitter, and all I did was take a Michael Kitts' article or, or some research from somebody and sim- simply retweet it or share it. And naturally, <laughs> I got nothing out of that. So, so, you know, I think the original content, a lot of people talk about uh, that needs to be genuine, authentic, really come from the heart. That not that the way to go? I mean, it takes more effort. I think it does than certainly retweeting somebody else's stuff, but isn't that the most effective? So it depends on your ultimate goal. So there is a, there is a good use though, for sharing other people's content, a couple of things. Number one, if you talked about that consistency, remember I mentioned before, you need to be doing this regularly. I suggest at least daily you post to social media. Again, if you want to be in that top 5%, that's actually reaping the rewards. And so if you wake up in the morning, every morning, and you read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, then make it a habit that every morning, whatever piece you're reading that you find interesting, tweet it or, you know, share it. I wouldn't say necessarily share it on LinkedIn, because with LinkedIn, you don't really get more than one post a day that the algorithm is going to push high in people's feeds. But for Twitter, it's great to share it there. Um, And what you can do is give your take on it. So read this this morning, really interesting quote from you know, the Fed chairman or crazy what, you know, a bunch of people on Reddit can do to the stock market, whatever your take is, right? Trying to make it original or interesting, or this is the best piece I've read on this topic this week. Um, But then, you know, at the same time, the original content is going to be serving the purpose of of showing your own expertise. So why would you do both? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's too hard to post your own original piece every single day. Like nobody's got the time to do that. But the other reason it's great to post other people's content is because you can tag them. So if you wanted to get on the radar of a local CPA and you'd love for him to know who you are and start sending you business, you could share if he has some great in, you know, interesting blog posts or videos or a webinar coming up and tag him and say, for all of my friends, you know, interested in this topic, my colleague, CPA, this person has this, and that person is going to be flattered and they're going to pay attention. Even if they've never met you before, you can do this. It doesn't have to be someone you have a relationship with. So that is why sharing other people's content is huge. Every Friday at 20 over 10, we do a roundup where we retweet, we call it um, the best things we read. And then we do it on Mondays, actually, five little things for your Monday, where we compile five articles that we think our audience should read. We put it in our own blog post. So we summarize the article and link out to it. And then when we share it on social media, we tag all five of the people who wrote those pieces. And we get more followers from doing that every week than probably anything else. We'll be right back. FMG Suite powers an all-in-one marketing platform that helps financial advisors and insurance agents attract new leads, stay connected with clients, and grow their businesses. Rated first in market share and customer satisfaction in the 2019 and 2020 T3 software survey report, FMG Suite helps its customers develop comprehensive marketing strategies and automate their most effective marketing tactics. To learn more and get a demo, visit fmgsuite.com. 
you said something reaping the rewards and I want to shift to that because that's that in my opinion is why we're doing all this is to reap rewards and that often comes in new business or that's that's the yardstick by by which many people measure results uh new assets new accounts new clients and you just mentioned something that you know I hope my listeners heard and that's that tagging somebody especially somebody that you're looking to to develop that referral relationship with is so important in so many ways to connect more with them, to show other people that you're connected with them uh, versus just like, like I used to do simply retweet something, uh, which probably doesn't have, you know, in and of itself doesn't have a lot of value, but let's stay on, on that topic of reaping rewards. And let's say I'm an advisor and I live in a place I know you love Samantha and that's Siesta key, Florida, right? Uh, and my prospect base is, you know, wealthy baby boomers and Gen Xers down in Siesta Key. Are, are these people, you know, the, I often think of my father, for example, he, he uses an advisor, but if he wasn't happy with his advisor, would he go to Twitter or LinkedIn to find a new advisor? So, so I'm not sh- quite sure how the actual investors the people that you measure your success by, um, how they are finding out about you through LinkedIn and Twitter and some of the common mediums that, that most advisors are on. So can you, can you connect that for me? Yes. Twitter should not be a platform that you use to get clients. So Twitter should be where you go to connect with other advisors to build referral relationships, or the biggest one is to get quoted by the press. So if you want to build a relationship so that a Wall Street Journal reporter will call you, that's where you want to hang out is on Twitter. It's also a great place to, if you want to speak at more conferences, right? It's an industry hangout spot. That's where you go for that. Um, if you want your, you want clients to find you on social media, Facebook is still the best platform for that. That's the biggest group of 55 and older hangout on Facebook. And if you're, you know, looking at, especially an older demographic, that is where you want to go. If you are working with a lot of entrepreneurs or people that are um, middle management or a certain segment of the working population, then LinkedIn is the best place to go. So, but then beyond that, no, you shouldn't just use social media and think I'm going to create all of this content. I'm going to post it. And then the clients are going to find me there. If somebody was looking for a new financial advisor, they're going to do a Google search, but guess what? If they do a Google search they might land on three different businesses in the local area. And as part of doing their research around those businesses, oftentimes people click on social media links on those websites because that gives them the best real understanding of a firm or a person beyond what they put on their you know formal professional website. So it's all, again, tied together. It's very interactive. Um, and it does depend on your demographic. There's a lot of people who say, well, I target people that are, you know, 60 and older. And so this doesn't matter so much for me. And that's probably true to an extent. But are you building a business for the next 10 years, next five years, the next 30 years? Um, you know, what is true today will not continue to be that for, for very long. Well, by and large, advisors don't do a very good job connecting with the next generation. So we know uh, well, I don't even know if the next generation's on Twitter and LinkedIn as much as they're on TikTok and Instagram and other other mediums. But uh, but certainly, what I'm hearing from you is this is all a means to an end. Uh, your your point about you go on Twitter to get to get recognized so that your local newspaper or 
local podcast or what have you picks you up because they've seen something, something insightful, perhaps that you put down that they pick you up. And then that's what your prospect sees, which then leads them to call you. Or perhaps you, you, like you said earlier, you connected with a CPA, the CPA saw that. And then when they have a prospect for you in their office, they connect to you. So all of this is interrelated, but one thing in and of itself may not produce the results. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. And I, I also want to just point out, you talked about like kind of, I think we've had a lot of people who focus on, well, my clients aren't using some of these mediums and they're talking about maybe the 55 and older. And then there's a lot of talk about, well, then to get to the next generation, you got to be on TikTok. There's a whole group of people that are more my age that are in their, you know, thirties and forties that are on social media every day. And they're on Instagram and they're using Google and they're often the ones, if their parents are saying like, oh, I got to have somebody help me with this. They help their parents. They go online and they help them find what it is that they're looking for. Um, the other really interesting thing, Putnam Investments, they do a survey. They've done it the last two years called the Social Advisor Survey. And in 2018, when they did this survey, the average age, or the, I should say, sorry, the median age of a new client that a financial advisor got from social media was 35. So that's what the age was in 2018. They ran the same survey a year later and the median age had gone up to 40 in one year. So we're only going to see that trajectory rise, right? I can't wait for them to release that data for 2020 because I'm sure it's going to be even, even higher. Um, and again, this stuff is happening at lightning speed. So if you wait to say, well, now, nope, yep, finally, all my audience is using social media every single day, it's too late. It needs to happen proactively. You need to build, you know, build it so that when somebody is then going, they get a list of recommendations and they clicked on your LinkedIn page, they're not seeing a blank canvas, but they're seeing a history of things that you've shared that make them say, oh, this person works with people just like me to solve problem X. Yeah. I, you, I guess in your position, you're often beating back frustration from a lot of advisors who, let's say for six months, they're. Maybe they're posting daily on LinkedIn, they're tweeting, they're doing all these things. And after six months, they're like, Samantha, I haven't generated a single lead from this. Yes, all the time. <laughs> so what, what, are you, what are you telling these folks? I, I, I guess it's probably a little bit of the art is messed up in the way they're approaching this versus the science of how often they're doing it. But the how do you analogy, yeah, the biggest analogy I can give that most people are like, oh, I get it, is how many people do we see on a daily basis that have worked for years to get healthy and they go to the gym every day and they say, oh, I, I've been dieting and they're taking all these action steps to get towards a goal, but it's not producing the results they want, right? We can all think of a lot of people that have experienced this, maybe even ourselves. And the reason is the way that they're going about it isn't the right way. Just because they show up at the gym and walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes, they feel like they can check that box. Like, yep, went to the gym today, but it's just not enough. And it's the same thing with social media. People share a link from their blog to LinkedIn and they think, well, I shared to social media. Why aren't the leads just knocking my door over? It, it doesn't work that way. It's much, much more nuanced and time consuming. And there's a lot of thought and strategy that needs to go into it than what people understand. Right. So I, let's talk about results because in measuring results more specifically, um, you know, I, I, there's an advisor in Southern California that used to be a client of mine years ago. Um, and she had about 150 million under management about eight years ago. 
Um, and she has, according to her uh, uh, Twitter handle here, she's got 300,000 plus followers. Uh, and, I, and I often wonder if I got 20 investors in a room, would any of them know who she is? Maybe even 20 other advisors. But I also looked at her form ADV and she's at 100 and uh, she went from 150 to 175 million over eight years. So I don't think those are great results. But, but how should... How should advisors be measuring the investment that they're putting into social media and digital marketing? It can be a little bit tricky to measure the same way like if you took out a billboard and you stuck it on the side of the road. Yes, some people might say, I saw your billboard, but a lot of people might not. They might just call you. So with any marketing initiative, it can be really tricky. And what we find is that typically it's not just one message that does it for someone. They see a post that you have. They hear a friend say your name. They see on Facebook, a uh, CPA mentions, you know, a webinar they're doing with you. They see your name mentioned somewhere else. And then finally, one day they're like, oh man, I really got to take care of this problem. I need to work with an advisor. And they start, your name kind of resurfaces to the top of their head because of all those touch points. So it can be incredibly hard to measure. I think we're entering a new era though, where in the next five years, being able to measure these things will become incredibly easier for small businesses. So right now at larger institutions, there's a lot of tools we have at our our disposal to connect things like what are, um, how does a social media post, what kind of views does it get that then translates to email opens, that then translates to a landing page visit, then we can retarget them with an ad. But for the you know small business owner, typically they can't do that. It's one of the things I'm most excited about for our our own business, twenty over ten, and um, you know with the acquisition of FMG Suite is building out a lot of these um, more predictive analytics and the ability to track things, you know, through all the touch points. And we've got a little bit of that started um, in certain ways for people using specifically our lead pilot system. But I. I think more to come because right now for a lot of small businesses, again, they just don't have the manpower to really dig into the data. Well, you're right. And and I think that's very important because I think the skepticism is going to continue out there with advisors around the money that they're spending and, the, and really the time, the opportunity costs on social media and digital marketing. They're, they're frustrated that they're not seeing the results from this. And, and a lot of them know they're probably not doing it the right way. But it, you know, it takes time, energy, and it takes hiring folks like FMG Suite and talking to you to, to discern really what it is. But I think uh, if there's ways that FMG or others can show people a clearer path to those results, I think the uh, people start looking at this more as an investment versus an expense. And, oh, yeah. And that's I mean, important. When we hear from, you know, advisors we work with, because we do have a system built out where, you know, it kind of notifies you and says, ding, you got a new lead from a social post or an email you sent. Somebody booked a time on your calendar. I mean, every single time, pretty much someone will forward those emails to someone on the team saying how excited they are. And when it happens the first time, you know, there's no feeling like it because you're like, this actually does work. I always just caution people, you know, a some because you didn't get results for something doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It just means the way you're currently doing it either isn't working or you haven't given it enough time. So it's like an investor coming to you, giving you a bunch of money and saying, okay, I want to, you know, invest in the stock market and these are my goals. And then they come back a week later and they're like, wait, why, why hasn't anything changed yet? You know, it's, it's a long-term value proposition, but the mis- 
one of the things that happens all the time is someone comes to me and they'll say, well, I need to update my website and my social profiles. I'm never going to get any clients from there, but I know it's just something I need to do. And the reason you haven't gotten any clients in the first place probably is because of the fact that it's outdated or you're not doing it right. Not because it doesn't work. So it's really, um, a shift in, it's like, we wish we could capture, you know, through AI or something, look at all these thousands of people in your Google analytics who visited your website and who never called you, who never booked a time on your calendar. What were they thinking? Why didn't it resonate for them and capture that? Like, you know, consumer sentiment, that would be a dream, but there's something to be said there, you know, look at your analytics, how many people are visiting your website that you never hear from. Those are real opportunities that we can capitalize on, hopefully with tweaks to our marketing. Well, and, and the repetition too. I mean, you're right. I mean, <clears throat> I probably get an email a day from uh, whatever automotive provider out there, whatever, you know, Porsche or BMW or whoever it is trying to sell. And I always delete, I delete, I don't take the time to unsubscribe. And one day I'm going to be in the market for a car and I will have seen about a thousand emails by then or seen a thousand ads on Twitter, whatever it is. And that'll be fresh in my mind. Up until then, it'll probably be a nuisance to me. Uh, but right then and there, I will remember whatever is some feature of a car or whatever it is that, that I, I want or I need. And so that repetition part, I think is important. And, and you stress that. You mentioned websites. I wanna, I wanna move to that here. Uh, in, in full disclosure, we are a happy customer of 20 over 10. I guess FMG Suite now. And, yes, oh, yeah, I love uh, yeah. We, we love our website. You guys did a wonderful job. But let, let's talk about websites because I see advisors out there with some of the worst websites, Samantha. I mean, basically, it's, it has a phone number and address and it just screams out, just call me if you want any more information, but I'm not going to give it to you on this website. And then I see other websites that are just unbelievably beautiful. A lot of them produced by 20 over 10 and just, just awesome. But I know these advisors aren't growing their business. And, and so, so what, what are the, you know, sometimes I feel that so, if you just had where for people to contact you and also who you are, you know, kind of, I think people go there for websites to see, you know, who's the CEO and does he or she know anything about anything? I think those things are important. So why should advisors spend any other time on the rest of their websites, the, the value prop and all that? Maybe you can drill into that for me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think we put a lot of, pre it's like a double-edged sword. We put a lot of pressure on, like, if we spend a lot of money on a website, then we expect it to perform for us and produce all this results, you know, immediately. And at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't put any pressure or pay any attention to it and they're losing opportunity. And you want to, you know, yes, you want to prioritize it, but you also have to have real expectations, which is just that the website is just another part of your marketing, overall marketing plan. And no one part is like the key, right? They all work really together if you're doing it right to produce results. So um, you really shouldn't as a financial advisor have more than five to seven pages of a website. Like, so you can have, especially in the main navigation for from a UX perspective, we find that consumers feel overwhelmed with more than five pages in the main nav. Now that people are gonna be allowed to have client testimonials um, with the new SEC ad rule, it would, I would suggest even having a page that's just about um, like social proof that way, because people want to hear from other people. So you may need to condense even more, but you know, it could be 
what you need to remember is that you have two different people visiting this website, people who are visiting it for the very first time. And your whole goal with them is to get them to read your site and say, yes, this firm works with people just like me to solve a problem I have. You want them to opt in, to self-qualify, to feel they've come to the right place so that they will continue to read more because they may not be ready to book a meeting with you yet, but they, we want them to know they came to the right place. But then for people who are aware of you, who are now starting to learn more, who want to know more, you want to give them as much information as you can without them having to book a meeting. Because at the end of the day, most people still feel like if they're booking a meeting, they're having a sales call and they don't want to be sold to. So you want to use your website to make the sale. And we do that through blog posts. So if you only have five main pages, you might have a homepage a, uh, you know, eventually here, a client testimonials page, a services page, and then like a get started page, and then a blog. And the blog is where you can really dive deep into topics that you want to make the case or, you know, sell your services for you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, especially as you go back and talk about the younger generation and what, why they're going to the websites and, and do they get turned off? Uh, you know, let's say the, the children of, of one of my clients and, you know, they're thinking about as, as the money passes through generations, whether they're going to keep me as an advisor and they're going to my website and seeing essentially a, a virtual brochure, no calls to action, no real good information, nothing that validates why I as the child will want to keep this person as my advisor. So, that's that person's going there for a different reason, but but like you said, as long as you're you're it's up to date, that it's professional, that there's a call to action that's very clear in there, um, you can you can sort of straddle the younger generation, but also appease and the maybe the older generation who's coming there for validation. So um, and it's, your, it's yeah. your chance to show your value, right? Because there's really there's really becoming this commoditization of investment management and financial planning. And so, especially people, you know, I hear this all the time from my peers in, in their thirties and forties saying, well, why would I get an advisor right now? You know, I have a 401k at work or I take my money and I just invest directly through a trading app. Um, and why would I pay somebody, you know, some basis points to do that for me when I can do it on my own? You need to show all the other things you do outside of that investment management that makes the case for why you're valuable. And there's a, a site I love, Allison Wealth Management, where they have this great graphic right on the homepage. And it's it shows, you know, a person who feels overwhelmed and it shows them with like tax documents and financial documents and bills and a budget and they're feeling so weighed down. And then right next to it, it says, why go it alone when you can have a trusted partner who acts as your family CFO? And it shows like a caricature of someone sitting at a desk and then like little bubbles above them with all the things they do. And that one visual just illustrates very concisely the value that they provide without someone having to read a bunch of paragraphs to get it explained to them. Yeah. Well, hey, Samantha, this has been great. Uh, I want to a couple takeaways I have from the from our podcast today. First of all, the way you interact with people on social media should almost mirror the way you interact with people if you were in person. And I think that's a great lesson to be learned that how you would ask somebody a question, what you would comment on uh, uh, as an answer to somebody's question in your office uh, can easily kind of translate and convey to, to social media. Second, that, uh, you know, posting daily uh, in, in these places and being repetitive is, is going to help and short and impactful wins the game. 
Um, I like that as well. And then, uh, you know, lastly, that, uh, you know, from a website perspective, which I know a lot of advisors want to look at updating their websites and you all should reach out to Samantha and, and uh, uh, to get help as well. But that, you know, having five to seven pages and, and being up to date um, and being impactful is going to win in that space too. So uh, would, would you agree with my summary list there? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, again, you're, you are not a, if you're not somebody who has a natural awareness or knowledge or knack for marketing, you know, work with somebody who can help you. It's, it's the same advice you give your own clients, right? Yes. Anybody feels like they can be a marketer, just like anyone feels like they can be an investor nowadays. But if you really want to do it right, you know, get the right help or educate yourself um, more so that you really can have the knowledge to, to do it effectively. Well, Samantha, and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep taking that turmeric pill. I mean, and I'm going to keep posting on LinkedIn and Twitter because I know it's good for me. And you, you really held my attention today. So I appreciate all of your time. Thank you for doing my podcast. And thank you all for listening today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Uh, thanks again, Samantha. Thank you. Have a great day and stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.